So I'm not a, a professional at this like, like Tim. So um, I, I'm going to have to talk pretty quickly because I did not time how long this was going to take. And he told me I only had two hours. Um, so, but I'm going to just jump right in. Um, you know, and, and the series that, that Tim is having us do is all about kind of having confidence in what we believe and why we believe it, right? Last week, Brady killed it talking about how we can see God in creation. Um, and that built my faith. Uh, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus, which... Uh, Lacey kind of preached my message earlier, which sort of, uh, when she said that this is not about talk, it's about power. Um, so that was pretty awesome. But So I'm going to jump right in. in. In John chapter 6, which uh, we'll get there in a minute. You don't have to put the scripture up yet. But in John chapter 6, there's this big, long sequence of events where uh, people are following Jesus, right? He's, he's feeding them. He's uh, teaching them. He's healing the sick. And a bunch of people end up following around. They don't have food, so he takes some loaves and fishes, and he multiplies it, and he feeds 5,000 people, and they're super impressed, and they love him. Um, and they try to make him king forcefully, so he kind of sneaks off, walks on some water, goes across the lake. Um, they figure out he's not there the next day, so they come back, um, get in some boats, cross to find him, and they're like, hey, how'd you end up over here? How'd you get here? And he's telling them, you know, you guys, you, you want to find me because I fed you. But really, you should be looking for um, eternal life, right? You should be looking for the bread that, that never ceases. Um, you want to hang out with me because I fed you. I'm actually the bread from heaven. I'm actually the, the bread of life. And then the crowds that loved him just a, a few minutes ago, they start to question him. And they're like, that's a little weird. We know this guy. This is the guy from the town. We know his parents. He's saying he came from heaven. And they start to get a little bit, a little bit weird about it. So Jesus is like, stop whining. You know, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> stop complaining. Um, your ancestors ate manna that came down from heaven, but they ended up all dying. I'm actually the real bread from heaven. And if you, if you want to live forever, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Wow. It's pretty weird. Um, <laughs> and I mean, it's weird to us today, even though we have the benefit of hindsight and knowing that he's referring to, you know, when he's going to break the bread at Passover and say, this is my body that's broken for you. And here's my blood that's poured out for you and, and invite us to participate in that sacrifice. But to them, first century Jewish people, without the benefit of that hindsight, this was pretty shocking, right? So then we, kinda, we pick it up here in verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for loving me. God, just ask, help me to say something useful, Lord, to your people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lift up Jesus and draw our hearts to you. <clears throat> Amen. So Jesus had this pattern where he would like lead, you know, heal people and crowds would gather and he would teach them and he'd have compassion and everybody would be excited and then he'd say something pretty hardcore. It was difficult to accept and then a bunch of people would sort of drop, fall away and then it sort of repeated a few times like that. Um, but when he said to all these people, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, that was a, that was a pretty big falling away. This was one of the big ones in the New Testament. But the reason that those closest to him, the 12, stuck with him in that moment 
Um, and when I, when I read this, I don't, I could be wrong, but when I read this verse, I don't read it like enthusiastically. It doesn't seem to me like when they responded to his question that they were like, hey, where else can we go? You know, you got the words of eternal life. It, it seems like they were pretty shocked as well, and they felt like, well, what other options do I have? You have the words of eternal life. Um, so they were concerned with what he said as well. But what kept them there is that next sentence. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. It was their belief in Jesus as God and Messiah that kept them with him when things got really hard and difficult. Um, you probably are not going to argue anybody into faith in Jesus. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a few people that have, have come to knowledge of God, maybe initially through reasoning or intellectual, you know, sort of got them started on the path. But I don't think that that's many people's stories. Um, but First Peter 3, 15 through 16 does say this. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, awesome. keeping a clear conscience, right? Kind of goes on and talks about some other things. So if it says we're always supposed to be prepared, but we don't really argue people into the kingdom. Well, I was kind of tricking you. Uh, I didn't say the first part of the verse. So if, if, if you put that verse back up, but with the first thing added, it says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, then always be prepared to give an answer. And I think that's kind of the key. Like, you, you, you've got to know who Jesus is deep within your soul before you can talk, just talk about, you know, Jesus. So I don't want to just give you, like, five ways to prove Jesus in a debate this morning, you know, or, and they all start with the letter B or something. I want to have something that's a little bit, more practical than that. I mean, our faith is not a blind faith. We do have reasons for, for why we believe. Um, but we shouldn't expect undeniable proof. Uh, there will always be people who can deny Jesus. And if we had undeniable proof, we wouldn't require faith, right? But we know that faith is required. In Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Because yeah. anyone who comes to him has got to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So we're going to talk a little bit about some evidence that points to Jesus as real and as God, and that he died and that he was resurrected. But I want us to keep in mind that this is probably more for us as believers, not as uh, something to try to argue people into faith who are coming from a place of, dis of disbelief. We'll look at some other patterns that can be more effective for that. So I think first, simple, did Jesus exist in history? This was not controversial until recently, um, but do want to just glance at it real quickly. Uh, within a few decades of Jesus's life and death and resurrection, um, he was mentioned in non-Christian history, right? He was mentioned by Jewish historians, Roman historians, plus obviously the Gospels and other Christian writings. Um, in AD 93, this Jewish historian, right, so not a person that's coming from a place of faith in Jesus, named Josephus, uh, makes a little note. He's writing a, a whole other history, and he just has this little one comment where he says, uh, he mentions James, the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ. Um, 
which James, the earthly brother of Jesus, at one point ended up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So we have right there, like 60 years, within 60 years of Jesus living on the earth, we have him mentioned in history as the people are already believing that he was Christ. This wasn't like folklore, you know, it was oral tradition for three or 400 years passed down and then somebody wrote it down later and went out, how, how trustworthy is it? This is, in time, this would be like somebody today writing about the JFK assassination. There's still people alive that like were there. So this is difficult to just, you know, manufacture. Um, about 20 years later, so still 80 years after Jesus was, you know, actually leaving footprints in the dust in Jerusalem, um, this guy, this Roman politician named Pliny, which is unfortunate, um, <laughs> he, he puts in his little history that there was a guy named Jesus that was executed uh, while Pontius Pilate was the, the prefect of Judea and while t- uh, the Tiberius was the emperor. Well, Romans, the Romans kept good records, so we know exactly when that was. And lo and behold, it's right during when the Bible says that Jesus was executed by Pontius Pilate. Um, some people may say, well, maybe Jesus was like a super common name. How do we know that this was, this was our Jesus? Just, just God named Jesus, you know? Pliny's just, you know, another Karen executed by Pilate. We, we don't know <laughs> who, like, exactly he might have been. But we do know because then he adds commentary, right? He puts right after he talks about this Jesus, he says, oh, yeah, this Jesus that was crucified on the orders of Pilate, it was these people called Christians, they worship this Jesus as God. And he doesn't like them. I mean, he, he, puts, he calls the Christians, so the, I, mean, I say that because he's not a friend of Christians, right? He, he says, quote, these Christians that worship Jesus God are pig-headed and obstinate. So we know he was talking about Christians. <laughs> For sure. Um... Uh, I'm going to skip that. Don't have time for that. Okay. <laughs> so was Jesus born um, and, and lived and died? I think it's pretty uncom- un- uncontroversial that, he, that that's a yes, right? But did he live and then die and then live? That's, that's the key, right? If we don't believe, uh, you know, there's a verse in Romans, which are not in Romans, Corinthians, I think, that I didn't put, sorry, guys, um, where it says that if, if Christ is not raised then we're still in our sins, right? So that's the key. Um, but before we get there, I think it's important to ask, how did Jesus prove that he was God? Uh, or did he even try? Like, what evidence did he offer of his deity? He was always kind of cagey about it, right? Whenever people were like, especially early in his ministry, before he was ready to, to reveal himself, uh, people would ask for signs and like, give us a sign, give us evidence. And he would say stuff like, well, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah, you know? Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so will the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth. Which makes a little sense to us because we know that he like died and was buried in three days. But to them, that has to be crazy. What are you talking about, right? He wasn't directly answering. But when John the Baptist, you know, a guy who actually baptized Jesus and presumably heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son, and saw the Spirit descending like a dove, once he got arrested and was about to get beheaded, even he had down moments, and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you actually the dude? Are you the guy? Or should I wait? For, are we waiting for somebody else? And Jesus doesn't even answer them directly. He doesn't send them back with a document signed, God. I mean, he, he doesn't like, uh, he says, well, just tell John uh, what you see, the deaf that hear and the blind that see and the lame that walk. And, and you know, the, the people that, 
tell them about the good news that I preach to the poor. So he knew that John would know that that points to messianic scriptures in the Old Testament, right? But he was still kind of like cagey, right? He wasn't ready to reveal exactly. So what did Jesus do that made him so attractive? Because he was attracted to people, and that's what we want to do, right? We want to make Jesus attracted. He said that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to me. So that's what we want to do. One thing that we see is that he didn't talk like a normal person. He asked people that he had barely met for just insane commitments. Um, drop, your, drop your nets. Drop your livelihood and follow me. Nice to meet you. I'm Jesus. Stop doing what you're doing. Come follow me. Uh, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. Uh, step out on the water and come over to me. He asked people for radical commitments. Uh, but it wasn't all deep voice, weighty, forceful. It, some of it was, you know, he, the woman caught in adultery, gentle. Where are your accusers? Oh, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He just, the way he talked was, it flipped everything that, that society expected on its head. So that drew people to, also the content of what he said was pretty unusual. Not just the way he said it. He said, love your enemies, pray for them. Blessed are the poor, which is not normal. Um, if someone slaps you, you should turn the other cheek and give them access to hurt you again. Uh, do good deeds, take care of the poor, but keep it a secret. Um, pray and fast, but don't do it publicly to look good. Don't build up money and possessions here, but trust God for your upkeep. Focus on the things that last forever. The last will actually be first. Whoever wants to save his life has to lose it. People that are lost and broken, I'll give them compassion instead of judgment. People that are hard-hearted and ought to recognize me, but they don't, and the religious leaders, they kind of get the hard judgment. And that was pretty much all just in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and Matthew seven twenty nine, as, as he finishes the Sermon on the Mount and saying all these things that completely upend society, this is really uh, obvious verse that people say. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, not like their teachers of religious law. Um, I didn't put this in the notes, but the Great Commission, when, when, when Jesus sends us out, he, at that point, he says, he taught with authority, right? And he tells the disciples, I've been given all authority. Now you go. So we have that authority now. But the sequence of his ministry on earth was, you know, if you look at Matthew and Luke, he goes to get baptized. The spirit descends like a dove on him. Then the spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted. Um, and then if we pick it up in Luke 4, 14, it says, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. Isn't that what we want? We want reports about Jesus to spread but then just a few verses later, he goes into a synagogue and has this sort of drop the mic uh, moment where he walks in, he, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, which is like if we were reading you know, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he starts to quote it, apparently with no commentary. He just starts quoting. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I don't have time for pauses, Tim. I got to hurry. 
Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Mm. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And this is the cool part. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and sat down. And then I like this next line. All eyes were like on him, looking at him intently. And it feels like he just paused a moment and like waited a beat. Just let everybody look at him. And then he goes, the scripture you just heard was fulfilled today, right now. That's me. I'm that guy. So Jesus didn't try to talk like a normal person. His speech was different. He was led by the Spirit. He overcame temptation by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Word spreads about him, and then he makes bold claims about what God is doing. That's how he talked. A few weeks ago, Tim had this really awesome and convicting and terrible message about um, how we're Christ's ambassadors. And he pulled from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I'm going to try to read it quick. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. Wait for the next four words. We speak for Christ. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's now our job to be led by the Spirit. It's now our job to overcome temptation by the word of God and the spirit of God. It's now our job to be filled with the power of the spirit. It's now our job to speak with boldness about what God is doing. Just read. <clears throat> that he's setting <laughs> captives free, that he's opening blind eyes. that the oppressed are gaining freedom, that this is the year of God's favor in people's lives. Uh, so that spirit-led life of boldness, when I practiced, I did not do this. <laughs> that spirit-led life of boldness is, is what will result in reports of Jesus spreading throughout the region. Not just words or evidence, uh, but power. But let's get back to evidence. Did he even claim to be God? People might say, you know, uh, Jesus was real. We get that. It's cool. He was a holy man. He was a good prophet. Uh, he was a moral teacher. We should try to emulate him. But he never claimed to be God. That's stuff that the, church, the disciples made up to start this cool new religion. And they added back. So he never actually intended for this to happen. So I think it's important we answer that. Did Jesus, what, what did Jesus say about himself? Don't have time for that. Skip that. Um, we're going to go to, um, so in uh, the, the, the burning bush story, right? Uh, God is calling Moses to uh, be, go, go and be a representative for him to, to help 
rescue the Israelites from Egypt. Um, so we pick that story up. Moses is not happy with it, trying to resist. In Exodus 3, 13 and 14, but Moses protested. He's talking to a bush that's talking back to him that's on fire. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. This is the name that God gave himself. Fast forward a couple thousand years. Um, Jesus is, is talking to the religious leaders. Well, really, they're talking to him, and they're mad because he's saying that people who believe in him will never die if they believe in his teaching. And they're all upset. They're saying, who do you think you are? Um, you think you're greater than our father Abraham and all these prophets? Um, and Jesus kind of slaps them around a little verbally, and uh, he's like, you, don't, you think you know God, but you don't even know God. Um, this guy Abraham that you're all infatuated with, he's like, I knew him. And he, he looked forward to this day when I would be here, and he was excited about it. And they're all upset, and they're saying, you know, you're, you're like a young buck. You're 30 years old. You're saying you, know, you knew Abraham? Um, so then we pick it up in John, in eight, John 8, verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah. And he knew what he was doing, right? And they knew what he was referencing. Uh, most of these people that were listening to him would have memorized the whole first five books of the Bible, so including the, the burning bush. So it was a clear declaration that he was God. Uh, i put it to you this way. Uh, Marvel's been pretty big for like 10 years, right? Has nowhere near the cultural popularity in our culture that Moses and the burning bush did to first century Jews. But even though it's not nearly that popular, if I were to raise my hand right here and say, and I am You've seen the movie. Iron Man, right? They got, they got the reference. Okay. See, it's not as popular as Moses in the Burning Bush. Um, they knew what he was saying, and you can tell because they picked up stones to try to kill him right after he said that. They were, because they knew he was, to them, that was blasphemy. Um, Rewind five or 600 years. If, if, if we're back and there's a prophet named Daniel and he's uh, in the Persian kingdom, he's been a captive, uh, he's having a vision, a, a prophetic vision. And we'll pick it up in the middle of this vision. Daniel 7, 13 through 14 says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. This is a really good one. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And then we fast forward five or 600 years. Jesus is now on trial. Um, he's been kind of silent most of the way through. But then in Mark 14, 61 through 62, the high priest directly asks him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And then he like digs it again. He's like, I am. I am. Get some... <laughs> And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's, everybody in his hearing knows he's referencing this scripture, this yeah. messianic scripture. He's saying, you know, you've got me on trial right now, but I'm that guy. And I, have, I will be the judge, and my kingdom will never end. Did the people there in that moment, right? Maybe, are we just reading back into this, right? I mean, did, did they think he was claiming to be God? Well, if you read the next verse, 
The high priest tore his clothing to show his horror, said, why do we need other witnesses? You've all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. So the people in his time knew that he was claiming to be God. Should be pretty uncontroversial. But in the next step, if we, we've got evidence that he existed, we've got evidence that he claimed to be God, we're only left with a few options, right? If somebody, Tim, if you tell me, hey, I'm God, you, you're, the options are you are or you aren't. Yes, there's no other option. Logical. If you aren't and you say that you are, then I can really only conclude you're either a lunatic <laughs> or a liar, right? You either know you're not God and you're saying it anyway, so you're a liar. I don't, you don't, you're not worthy of my worship. Or you think you're God and you're not, so you're nuts and you're not worthy of my worship, right? But if he's actually God, then the only other option is he's Lord, right? And then our only option is worship. <laughs> so back to this, how did Jesus prove he was God? What about Jesus was attractive to people? Or what evidence did God give? <clears throat> or did Jesus give? that he was God. He also valued things differently than people. He had different priorities than his culture. Uh, he lived totally differently. He paid attention to the, to the folks that were the least valuable, the sick and the poor, um, the widows, the tax collectors, the sinners. You know, let the little kids come. They're not in the way. This is what the kingdom is made of. He, he let women be prominent members of his, his followers when they had basically no value in society. They couldn't be witnesses. If you needed 10 people for a jury in, in first century Judaism and you had nine males and 50 women, you didn't have enough for a jury. Like, they, they, didn't, they didn't allow it. But he let them be prominent. He was a rabbi that touched lepers. Uh, he let the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years touch him and he didn't react like he was contaminated, but he praised her faith. He let a known prostitute pour perfume on his feet and then wash them with her tears. And he blessed her for it. And he saw a widow who, so she already doesn't have a husband. Now her son has died. There's a funeral procession walking down the street. And he walks over to the coffin, which is going to make him ritually unclean, and touches it and commands the corpse to rise, which it did. Jesus lived differently, and it moved people's hearts to love him. So how do we offer evidence of Jesus to others? We have to value people differently than our culture does. We have to prioritize the weak and the broken and the least in our society. Instead of surrounding ourselves only with other people that are healthy-ish or have seen a doctor, we have to make sure that we spend time with the sick who have great need of a doctor and we have to speak boldly about this uh, great physician that we know. Yeah. But let's get back to some evidence. Did he die and rise again? I'm not gonna deal a whole lot with did he die. People, some people question that. He was executed by people who were professional executors. <coughs> Romans, he was, they were pretty good at it. He died. Uh, don't have time for that. The story of Jesus' resurrection was immediately being told in the city where he lived and died and was buried. This is not a good place to start a caper, a, a false religion. We're going to make this thing up. Um, like the first people that, G, that they told about the resurrection, could, they could just go look. Uh -huh. They didn't bide their time and go to a city 40 miles away, wait two or three years, start some stories that are unverifiable. 
they told people, like they started telling people. First century, uh, just uh, in, in, in first century Jerusalem, it was about one square mile. It was a little less. It's not a huge place. Um, it's a short walk to the tomb. So they were really bad at faking and making up a religion if they didn't choose the right conditions. Um, if the disciples were trying to propagandize with the Gospels and just kind of make stuff up to support this new club that they had, hey, come join our club, this guy died, he's really God, it's cool. Um, they chose some really bad eyewitnesses. The first people that saw, that, that were claimed to have seen the empty tomb was the formerly demon-possessed woman and some other women who had no place in society. That's just like God. It's not like us. If I'm fictionalizing a story, can you hush, Tim? You're missing. <laughs> if I'm fictionalizing a story, um, I probably choose some prominent male, preferably one that just recently died. Right? Can't really confirm it. But uh, he's the first one. But they. God, as he always does, chose those who were considered the least. Uh, there are arguments right from the beginning. <clears throat> it's actually mentioned in the Bible, but you can find it outside of the Bible too. Right from the beginning uh, that the people were spreading stories that the disciples came and stole the body. There's actually really good evidence that the tomb was empty. If I'm, if, if I'm a, a Jewish leader opposed to this new cult, that they called it, uh, and the tomb is not empty. I don't make up a, a story about the disciples stealing a body. I just point and I say, there he is. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they made up a story about why the body wasn't there indicates that the tomb was empty, which we sang about earlier, which was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. So the tomb was empty, right? But maybe did the disciples actually steal the body? I mean, maybe they did. We don't have any. There's no cameras. We don't know. Um, we don't have any definitive proof. The, the Bible says that there were guards at the tomb, so it makes it pretty unlikely. But if you're talking to somebody they don't believe in the Bible, maybe they think, well, I don't know there was guards. They just walked over and took the body, and then they started this cool new club and said, Come, you know, let's go. The problem is we do have plenty of historical evidence about how the church was founded. And the way that the church was founded is all these disciples started telling people that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for us, and then was raised again. And they were all executed for it. I've watched the show alone uh, where people go out in the woods and they're dropped off and they have like nothing and a satellite phone. Last as long as you can. Uh, you win a bunch of money. Uh, call us when you're, when you're scared. And they all start out super tough and they're all bragging about how they can handle it. And then they get out there and they see like three piles of bear poop and they're like, come get me. <laughs> and these guys all start out super brave, right? And then they're in this little make makeshift tarp tent they made the first night and the wolves start howling, come get me. Those are bravish people, supposedly. 
we're talking about the same disciples that when Jesus was arrested, ran. Which is another reason to believe the gospel stories. If I'm writing a story, I'm not the coward in my own play. All right? The fact that they embarrass themselves indicates truthfulness. These are the same disciples that after Jesus died, right, they're hiding in a locked room. Jesus had to walk through a wall to get to them, to the resurrected Jesus, to, to appear to them. Um, then they're, later they're back at their regular job. It doesn't look like they're planning on starting a cool new religion. They've quit, and they're fishing, and Jesus appears to them. So we got a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, some other people. We don't know what their jobs are, but probably none of them are like specialists in heists or grave robbery or um, celebrated authors specializing in literary fiction. They're just regular folks who ran and hid as soon as they faced opposition. But then, like months later, they're standing up and they're preaching to people and they're saying, hey, you, you killed Jesus and this Jesus Uh, that you killed, God has now made Lord in Christ. So what changed? After Jesus' death, they're scared and they're hiding. A few months later, they're powerfully preaching to the same people that screamed, crucify him. And they all get executed. All they had to do was say, nah, he's not really raised from the dead. So what changed? Uh, Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> and he appeared to them, and he hung out with them. And then the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead came and filled those cowards, and then they changed the world. Uh, which we know they did that because we're, that's why we're here. If they hadn't stood by the divinity of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, there's no Christianity today, and there's no the way. So we have reasons to believe that Jesus existed. We have reasons to believe that he claimed to be God, and we have reasons to believe that he died and was resurrected. But will you believe? Uh, where else can we go? Uh, what, are, what are your family's other options? Where else can your coworkers go? Uh, crowds followed Jesus mostly because of the supernatural acts of healing that he did. People followed Jesus because he had need, or they had needs that only he could meet, and he met them. People loved Jesus mostly because of the compassion and the kindness that he demonstrated toward them. So people followed Jesus. He met their needs. They had needs, and he met them. There's over and over these stories. He went through this and such an area, and he healed all the sick, and people brought everyone to him, and he taught them, and he healed them, and crowds followed him over and over again. We are surrounded by people who have needs. Uh, we, I, I am still a person who has great need for Jesus. But we're surrounded by people. Who are captives. Who are oppressed. Who are uh, blind. Who think that it's about time to give up. And so now we have to be Christ's ambassadors and we have to be led by the Spirit. We have to have lives that are wildly different in priority than our culture. And then when their marriages are breaking and alcohol and drugs and whatever temporary pleasures of sin that doesn't really last 
when that starts to not satisfy and when love of self and pride starts to put them in prisons that they, they make themselves and when careers and relationships become empty, then we have the words of eternal life. And we speak about Jesus. Uh, how he's, he's my God. And he's <clears throat> my friend. And how he's the lifter of my head and my rescuer. <clears throat> Goodness gracious. Done with that. Okay, uh, he can be that for you. That's how we're prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect, not just because we have evidence. Don't feel pressure to prove anything. The cool thing is we have the truth. In poker, if you have the best hand, you don't really have to bluff a whole lot. Jesus actually is God. He was born of a virgin. He did live a sinless life. He did die for our sins. He was raised to life and given all power and authority. And he is the only thing that will satisfy you or your friends or your family. <clears throat> nothing else is real and nothing will satisfy in a lasting way. And when folks come to the end of themselves and they're asking themselves, where else can I go? They have to know that we as Christ's ambassadors have the words of eternal life and his name is Jesus and he'll walk you out of prison and give you hope. That's why we can have confidence in our faith in Jesus because he is true. We have evidence, but we, we don't have to prove Jesus. Jesus will prove himself. We have to live and act and speak as Christ's ambassadors. Uh, we have to have the words of eternal life. So when people ask, where else can I go? We have Christ revered in our hearts as Lord. And we're ready to give a, a reason for the hope that we have. <clears throat>